0: with Dr. Farid Halaqi. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or like my page on Facebook. Uh, or Instagram to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, um, 310 441 Before I begin with the summary of the book for this past week, I wanted to announce the book for the coming week. Uh, it is Emotional Awareness, a Conversation Between the Dalai Lama and paul ekman Uh, the dalai lama of course you know paul ekman is a psychologist and so together throughout this book they have a conversation looking at things like meditation and also where science can aid meditation and uh, vice versa and i don't know much about the book because i haven't started it yet but i'll have it ready for next week on monday so that's emotional awareness a conversation between the dalai lama and paul ekman all right the book for this past week was moonwalking with einstein by joshua Foer. moonwalking with einstein the art and science of remembering everything and like me when you hear that title moonwalking with einstein you wonder how it has to do with the art and science of remembering everything and i hope i'll remember no pun intended to later on in this segment mention why he titled the book that but what the book is looking at is this the author joshua for who is a journalist and basically his experience of learning about what he calls mental athletes or these people who compete in memory competitions and it's an incredible story because he goes one year i think it's 2005 to cover the usa memory competition And sees what it's like and talks to some of the contestants. And then he decides to actually, in a way of doing participatory journalism, experience what it's like to try to learn the techniques or become good at these uh, types of exercises himself. And ends up participating after training the whole year uh, to become a mental athlete and to improve his memory using the techniques he gets being coached by one of them. And he ends up winning the USA Championship the next year, which is quite incredible. Uh, And so the book follows his journey uh, along this path, but also talks about some of the science of memory, uh, looks at some people who have issues with memory or maybe different memories than typical people, for example, individuals who have amnesia, either from an accident or a disease or tumor of some kind, and also people who have incredible memories including um, the individual who was uh, the movie Rain Man was about and it's a really interesting story and even the first few pages after I read it I thought okay I don't know exactly if I'm gonna like all of the content of the book but I'm gonna enjoy reading it because he's a good writer and he presents the stories in a good way and that's how I felt but I actually also enjoyed the content of the book as well. So when we think of these people in these competitions who, for example, will take a deck of cards and after just a few minutes or even less of looking at that deck of cards in a certain order can tell you without looking the order of the cards. So they look at the cards for a few minutes. Um, The world record incredibly is around 30 seconds. And I think he said that mark was broken. So imagine looking at a deck of 52 cards for 30 seconds, quickly fanning through it, handing it to someone and being able to count off and recite each of the cards, king of spades, seven of hearts, three of spades, four of clubs, all the way through in the perfect order. Now we might think, well, these people just have incredible memories. And sometimes we ask ourselves that question or you tell people, or do you have a good memory or I have a good memory? It's something that we think of as some kind of a fixed trait about us. This is how good my memory is, and these are the limits. But as he displays in the book and through his own journey, what we find is these people who are so good at memorizing things like cards, they also memorize numbers or names, uh, poetry, different things. It's not that they have some exceptional memory that the rest of us don't have. It's actually that they learn techniques and practice those techniques and come up With mnemonics to help them memorize any type of thing. So, really, it's not that they're so good at memorizing things and they hold this all in their head in a way that we can't do, but it turns out rather that they use these techniques to make it easier for them to remember. So, looking at what some of these techniques are, um, basically, as he explains, and the person who coaches him, I think his name is Ed Cook, talks about to him, our brains were not adapted or in the environment they evolved. They were not evolved to learn things like names and numbers uh, or words. They were not evolved to learn how to do these things because they weren't even existing back then. What they were good at is things like finding the root back home, knowing where the edible plants were and the non-edible plants, and also being able to differentiate the edible ones and the not edible ones. So we're very good at visual memory, but we're not very good at remembering things like lists and words. And in our day and age is actually things like lists and words that we usually need to know. And unfortunately we're not so good at them. So in order to be able to remember things like lists, words, and numbers, the techniques that have been created, and many of them exist thousands of years, back to even Cicero and how he would memorize his speeches. Uh, One of the ones I'll I'll talk about is called the memory palace. And essentially what we're doing is we're taking things like words, lists, names, things that we're not good at remembering, and turning them into visual stimulus that's easier for us to remember. So the memory palace technique is essentially you think of a, a place that you know very well structure, let's say like a home, maybe the home that you grew up in or the home you currently live in. And it's a a home or area, you know, very well, and you can pick different spots in that house and go through them one by one. And what you do is you turn the words or the names or the numbers into images and you put them in each one of those places. So for example, he talks about uh, the first time he practiced the technique with the person who was going to be his coach, Ed. And he says, okay, remember your childhood home. And he says he could vividly remember the home. And he says, okay, first we're going to start, you're going to memorize this list of things I need to buy or do before I go on my trip. And he says, okay, first starting in front of the driveway, you're going to put the first thing there. And so it was something like pickled garlic. And he says, I want you to see it there. Even if you can smell it, that's good. And imagine what it smells like. The more uh, senses you get involved and the more vivid it is, the more likely you are to remember it. Then he goes to his front door. The next thing was to buy cottage cheese. And he says, okay, now I don't want you to think of a little thing of cottage cheese. Think of a big tub of cottage cheese and imagine Claudia Schiffer sitting in that tub and rubbing the cottage cheese on her body. As he discusses, Uh, Images that are more memorable are things that are very vivid and colorful, and even things that are sexual stay very well in our memory or they're easier for us to hold on to. So he walks him through basically his home and puts these 15 different things throughout that house, and that's basically what you do. You walk through that home or that whatever it is, building or structure, and along each step of the way in specific spots, you put things that are now images that are easier for you to remember. And this is what they do for the playing cards as well. Each card is turned into some vivid image, oftentimes a celebrity doing something very memorable that then makes it easier for you to remember it as you go through your own memory palace, whether it's your home or someone else's home, a place you know well. And at each point, you're able to remember the cards that are there. And that's actually where the title of the book, moonwalking with Einstein comes into play because that was one of the things he used to remember a certain card or a certain series of cards. So as he himself experienced, as much as you might think, well, these people who win memory championships have some exceptional cognitive ability, they are savants or geniuses, and it's not people like you and me, he showed that Although at first he really had no special ability and he did some tests that showed that, he was able to become the U.S. champion because he put in dedicated practice into uh, learning these techniques and becoming better at utilizing them. And related to that, I'll get back to the idea of memory that he he talks about more. Um, it's this idea that you see him, which I really think is a good point to remember, going from a novice, an amateur, into the US champion. And he does this not because he's lucky, not because he had some innate ability that he was not aware of, but because he puts in what we can call deliberate practice, meaning consistent practice day after day. And actually, he didn't put an exceptional time. He was consistent, but I think he mentions he does like 30 minutes a day or maybe an hour a day, but every single day. And that's how he got better. Now, most of us might do a lot of different things but we don't do them using deliberate practice we don't consistently work on them and work on them in a way that makes us continually improve some research shows that if we look at things like typing now many of us who have used a computer we've been typing for years hours and hours and hours of typing but after the beginning of when we got used to using a computer, our typing speed doesn't get much faster. Well, why is that? The reason is that after a short while, once we get a little bit better, we enter into what they call the autonomous stage. At this point, it becomes pretty unconscious for us to use the technique or the skill, which for example, in this case is typing. Now, overall, this is a good thing because if we can make a lot of things unconscious or things we don't have to think about, that opens up more mental capacity to focus on other things like the email you're reading or the thing that you are typing. But if you want to keep getting better at something, you have to do what they call deliberate practice, which involves essentially three steps. One is you keep focusing on your technique. So you don't just do it unconsciously, you become mindful Of what you're doing and make sure you're doing the techniques and doing things in the right way the second thing is you have to stay goal oriented focus on getting better you're not just doing the action you actually want to keep getting better at what you're doing And you might even have certain goal posts or uh, places you're trying to get to in developing your skill and lastly and very importantly you have to get constant and immediate feedback so that means you need someone whether it's a coach or if you're self-timing yourself or whatever it might be, to make sure you're getting some kind of constant feedback to see actually what you're doing wrong. And this is where many of us might shy away from the step needed to get better, and that is we have to make mistakes and face our mistakes. So we have to keep trying to get better, pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and make mistakes, and then we can see how and what is causing those mistakes and improve, But what most of us do is we get to a comfortable place and we do it in a way where we don't make mistakes anymore and we feel good about that. But we see that if we want to get better, we have to actually put ourselves and push ourselves out of the comfort zone, see where the mistakes are, get that immediate feedback and then make changes to get better. So we see him, uh, Joshua Fowler, the author, he gets to a certain plateau and he thinks maybe this is as good as he can get. Then he... Uh, read some literature about people who get to these plateaus and how they break through them. And this idea of deliberate practice helps them uh, break that plateau and and go further. Now, we might be now asking ourselves, what's the point of all this? What's the point of being able to memorize a deck of cards or a bunch of random numbers? Does it really benefit us? And this is related to another uh, topic or concept that you hear a lot about now, that what's the point of even knowing things or knowledge in today's day and age? Because essentially anything I could want to know, any fact, any piece of knowledge, information, within a few seconds I can go on Google and get a very complete, accurate, and detailed, comprehensive explanation of what it is. And I've even had this conversation actually uh, with my brother Parham recently. We talked about this, about uh, information and knowledge is becoming less and less important because really we can look up anything knowledge doesn't have much value because anything you know someone else could look up in two seconds and have that information and what's needed is creativity and innovation and we need to be in our education focusing more on these types of things how to be creative how to be innovative because that's what we need. While I think that is very important and I think We are seeing a shift, and even more, we need to see a shift towards teaching kids through experience, teaching kids about information, not just information, about innovation and creativity. Um, He brings up this important idea that we can't just have innovation and creativity without knowledge, without knowing things. Um, We might think, well, what's the point of knowing things? But if we really think about it, anything that's new although we might think of it as new, creativity comes from the synthesizing of existing knowledge, information, or techniques. So if you want to come up with a new scientific theory, although sometimes it takes a very new way of looking at a problem, what will be very helpful is knowing all the existing theory, knowledge, um, and information in that field, and then you can use that to synthesize and create something new. Even for myself, in reading the books I've read in this past year and few months, I feel that it's allowed me to be more creative in the ideas I can come up with because I'm learning so many new things from different fields and related things to psychology that I can then become more creative and think of new ideas. So we see that although we try to separate uh, memory and knowledge from innovation and creativity, the two go hand in hand. And also we see that the more I know, the more I can understand. And the more I understand, the more I can know. The easier it becomes to learn new things. And so that part of the book I thought was really interesting, recognizing that we might think that the realm or the era of memory being important is gone because now all the knowledge in the world can be essentially at our fingertips with our phone or our computers. But we're seeing that there actually still is a lot of value to learning things and memorizing things. There can be value in that, and we shouldn't completely get rid of that. And also he talks about how memory is essentially what makes us us, makes me who I am. Um, he is uh, interviews and, and visits someone who has amnesia and really can't make any new memories. And he sees that person, although very Zen-like and very present in the moment, has a hard time with things like relationships because he can't form new memories. And so when we're with our partners, as important as it is to be very present with them, and we talk a lot about how we might not do that sometimes, we know that the significance of our relationship is that we share memories together. Without that, there really is no depth to our connection, and there is nothing that we share together. So we want to be present, but also the memories that we share help create the relationship and help us um, have that depth and emotional intimacy that we talk about. So I really enjoyed this book. I didn't think it would make me think about things in the way that it did. Um, And his story is interesting to see how he goes from novice and amateur to winning the USA Memory Championship within a year. So I would really recommend the book, um, Moonwalking with Einstein, The Art and Science of Remembering Everything by Joshua Foer. And again, the book for this week is emotional awareness a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Paul Ekman all right we've reached our first commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five you're listening to in session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui we'll be right back You know, in the first segment, I was talking about the book Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Foward that uh, I really did enjoy, and I really will say more than I anticipated enjoying a book about people memorizing things. I thought it would just be interesting to read it, but uh, it made me think about a lot of different issues, and some of them I brought up, but I wanted to continue on them in this uh, segment. It, it's interesting, he, he shares how Socrates was uh, worried that writing would lead uh, culture down, as he puts it, down a treacherous path of intellectual and moral decay, which is interesting because what he was saying was that although we'd have more knowledge or more knowledge available, because now people could read things, whereas before there was oral traditions of passing down things and information because there was no way to keep track of it, no external forms of memory, um, but people would be so dependent on those things that they would become, as he puts it, empty vessels, so they themselves would not have anything within themselves. Um, and I thought that idea was very interesting because again, I mentioned in the previous segment, what makes me, me and what makes you, you, a big part of that is our personal memories. Absolutely. That's a big part of my. Understanding of me, but also what I know and understand is a big part of that too. And I think it is dangerous for us to go down a route where we no longer think it's important to learn things and to understand things. Because again, unless I learn them and memorize them, I can never understand them and know them either. They go hand in hand. The more I know, the more I understand, the more I understand, the more. Uh, I can know, and so we, we need to learn things and not lose sight of this. So as much as we can think that the only thing that matters now is thinking creatively and innovatively, and we don't need to learn things anymore there. There's two issues I have with that, that the book he himself talks about. And, and I agree with, um, one is that we lose a lot when we don't learn some of the basics of things, it helps create our character, having knowledge of the world, knowledge of poetry, knowledge of math and science of history. This adds to who we are. And the second and very important part, which I alluded to and touched on in the first segment is you can't be creative, or maybe I should say creativity is greatly enhanced by what you already know and understand. Even if we take a field like an artistic endeavor, like dance, we can think, of course, dance is very artistic and expressive and the person has to feel the music and let that be expressed. So maybe there's no need to know anything or understand anything in the past. Maybe that holds us back, but really what we find is learning the technique And learning the history and understanding all the different types of dance and expressing them will enable the person to then come up with some type of innovation or twist on that, add their own personal touch. But it's not out of thin air that they have that creativity, even though it might come to them in a moment's inspiration. It also is based on that foundation of what they already know and understand and have practiced. So without that understanding... Without that knowledge, it is virtually impossible to be creative or our creativity is stifled. As I was saying before, even for myself, the more I understand about what the great psychologists, the great writers and thinkers have to say and how they explain things and really learning it, the more I'm able to then contribute to it and add to that lineage and that uh, field. Because I can understand things better bring pieces together, even sometimes from different fields, and create something new and innovative. But without that knowledge, if I just try to sit and think in a room by myself and be creative, uh, I'm less likely to come up with something innovative and new, and I very likely will try to think of things that already exist in knowledge. And if I learn them, uh, I'll be much better at that. So the book does a very good job of making an argument for the benefits of memory. Now, I don't think it's necessarily necessary for all of us to learn how to memorize hundreds of random digits or to be able to memorize a deck of cards. Although I did get inspired a little bit reading the book, and I'm not sure if I want to fully commit to it yet, but I like the idea of being able to memorize a deck of cards within a few minutes. So I'm thinking of using some of the techniques in the book. Um, and and reading some more online to try to do that. Maybe kind of an interesting party trick or just to see if I'm capable of that. Or actually maybe, and I can elaborate on that, even when I say if I'm capable of that. Um, I I did like in the book how it makes it very clear that you don't have to be someone exceptional to do these things. And that idea that, oh, I have a bad memory or I have a good memory um, or so if my memory is so bad, I can never do something like this. But as he puts it, we all really have the hardware that can memorize these things. We just need to learn the software, these types of tools and mnemonic devices to be able to memorize these types of things. So we all are capable of this. And I think that's why I want to do it is to see what I am capable of or to show to myself, oh, actually, I can do something that I probably would have thought is impossible for me to do, I would have thought it's not something I can ever do, or it would take years and years or whatever else it might be. I really didn't see it as something I can do, but now I realize I can do it and I want to accomplish that and put myself through that challenge and uh, do the deliberate practice necessary to arrive at that goal, to remind myself that, wow, I really can do more than I realize. And that to me is another big piece of this book, the idea of deliberate practice, that we think very often that we're at a fixed place. Okay, this is as good as I can be at this, or I can't get any better at this skill or this task. But what they find is very often, or maybe in a different way, the years that we do something is often not very related to how good we are at that thing. Because as I mentioned before, we kind of get stuck at a certain place. We get to an autonomous stage where we no longer improve. We make it unconscious. We don't focus on the technique. We don't have a goal and we don't get feedback. Even he talks about certain doctors like mammographers who look at x-rays and have to determine tumors and cancers and things of that sort. Very often they don't get better over time because usually the feedback they get is months or years after the fact. So they make a diagnosis or they say there is no diagnosis. It's let's say malignant or benign, or there's nothing to worry about, or there is something to worry about, but they don't get the immediate feedback to learn about the experience that they had. And months later, if I come back to you and say, oh, remember that one time you saw that X-ray, it turns out you saw it wrong. You're not going to learn much from it because the feedback is not immediate enough for you to be able to learn something from that. And interestingly, he talks about a psychologist who looks at these things and a suggestion he made is to train doctors, uh, this this type of doctors, to look at old cases. So cases that have already uh, finished years later and we, we know now what happened, have them look at the x-rays or the images and determine what they think they see. And then they can get immediate feedback. So the doctor can say, okay, I think this tumor is malignant and this is concerning and there needs to be surgery. And then they can tell them, well, the result was there was no surgery necessary, it was a benign tumor. And then the doctor can actually learn from what he or she did or didn't do or what they saw and get better. So we see that experience itself is not enough. Experience can be helpful, but it's a certain type of experience. It takes that deliberate practice to get better at whatever it is. And really any skill we do, this book was about memory, but whatever it is you want to get better at, we can recognize that as much as we might think we've reached our plateau or we've reached our limit, it's just a plateau, meaning that we can go further. And so let's push ourselves to get better And using the techniques of focusing on technique, staying goal oriented and getting constant and immediate feedback, we can get better. And especially that third one, getting constant and immediate feedback. We might not like that. It often requires getting a coach or a trainer or someone to look over our shoulder to see what we're doing. And oftentimes that means we can get some feedback we don't like. Oh, you're actually making mistakes. You're not doing this right. You can do it better if you do it this way. And it forces us, one, to have to get out of our comfort zone because we've already gotten to a place we feel good about. And two, to actually look at ourselves and maybe realize I'm not as good as I thought I was, or I could be better and I haven't tried to get better. And that doesn't always feel very good. But if you do value getting good at something, this is what you need to do. and This is what we all can do. Um, so again, I really did enjoy this book, which although focusing on memories, what I thought it was going to be about, made me think about a lot of different things and really think about how, what is it in my own life that I can get better at, but I haven't tried to get better at that I keep having experience in, but I'm not necessarily putting the right type of practice in to get better at that so again i I didn't plan on doing two segments on the book but i did enjoy it a lot and didn't finish everything i wanted to say so that was some more thoughts on moonwalking with einstein by joshua foer all right let's go to our next commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five you're listening to in session with dr fatty delocque we'll be right back You know, this past weekend I got to do, uh, have an amazing experience, something that I really enjoyed and I was excited about for the, the weeks leading up to it, or the, I forgot how long I knew about it, maybe two weeks. And that was that on Saturday of this past week, weekend, I got to go with the kids from school on wheels to see the movie Black Panther. So it was about twenty five thirty. the kids that I get to see regularly on Thursdays when I go tutor at School on Wheels, which I've talked about on the show before, but I'll mention again, School on Wheels is this wonderful organization in the Los Angeles area that provides tutoring and educational support for homeless children. And it's a great organization. If you want to get involved, you can go to schoolonwheels.org to learn more about it. You can become a tutor quite easily. just have to go through a a short process, um, or you can donate money to this organization that I've seen their great work so I can vouch for your money going to a good place. Um, But one thing we know is that although education is supposed to be seen as a great equalizer, meaning that it can help you if you're in poverty, to come out of poverty or to move up the social ladder, so to speak, we see that children who are in poverty don't Get the same benefits from education, or they are faced with many disadvantages. Disadvantages that make it harder for them to benefit as much as others. Uh, and also another great part of what I got to experience on Saturday was that uh, longtime listeners of my show might remember. I think it was about three years ago. I had Tari on my show, and he was a student at School on Wheels. Um, that I got to meet there, and also a gentleman who works with School on Wheels was here as well, but I interviewed Tari on my show, and his family had moved, so they were no longer students there, but I did find out he himself comes on Saturdays now to tutor, but I hadn't seen him for I think more than a year, maybe two years, and I saw him that day, and that just uh, made me so happy, and I gave him a hug, and I was just, uh, just so excited to see him, and we talked a little bit, and Now he was taller than me when he came on the show. I definitely was taller than him, but now he was taller than me and and so grown up and it was just amazing to see. But anyway, so we, um, they had organized for the kids to go to the movie theater. And first we had a pizza party with the kids there and that was a lot of fun. And then we got on a bus and we went to the theater and they had the theater all rented out for the kids from School on Wheels and some other kids as well. And we enjoyed the movie, and they were so excited, and it was great. Now, anyone who's seen Black Panther knows that one, one thing that's making this movie stand out is that the majority of the cast is African-American, or I should say African is Black. And uh, this has been wonderful because many people of the African American community here in the United States have never really had a superhero, a Marvel superhero to look up to as the main character in a movie and to really resonate with and have that representation that, Oh look, that could be me. And you definitely saw it with the kids there and they were all so excited during the movie and that that really does make an impact. And that's why I was so excited to be involved with this, um, I actually emailed the organization and said, I think it would be great if we take the kids to see the movie. And then they actually emailed me saying, it's funny you're saying that because just two days ago, someone else emailed us and they're trying to set it up. And I said, I want to be involved in any way that I can. And I was so happy to join. So it was really a great experience and seeing the kids enjoy it. Um, I did miss about four minutes of the movie. One of the most exciting parts or one of the intense moments were two of the uh, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a big fighting scene, essentially. And a few of the kids tapped on my shoe, and they said, Mr. Fareed, we, we have to go to the bathroom. And so I had to leave the theater with about three kids uh, as they went to the restroom, and then we came back. So I missed about four minutes, but it was okay. Uh, it was I really enjoyed the movie. And then afterwards, just seeing the energy of the kids was wonderful. And so I hope they watched that movie And saw that, yes, they can be a hero and a superhero and and do wonderful things. Um, So that I wanted to share with the listeners was a really great experience. And if you haven't seen the movie Black Panther, I highly recommend it. It was very entertaining. And there's definitely uh, some social commentary or a lot of social commentary there as well. But a very important film. I think one that will stand the test of time, both by being a high quality film, very entertaining Uh, very well acted and produced and and created, but also has uh, historical significance and cultural and societal significance. But I hope the kids that watched it and I got to watch with them recognize that they can be their own superhero, that they can be a hero. And that's what I hope they got from it amongst hopefully also being entertained and enjoying some popcorn and soda. But this idea that they can be their own hero and that's also the message i wanted to share to everyone listening today and even to myself but uh, we sometimes look at heroes and in this case yes the movie is a superhero and their superpower so we can say it's science fiction and not real but i don't mean that kind of superhero but that we can become our own hero meaning someone that we are proud of and someone who accomplishes great things and becomes very good at doing things that help people and make the world a better place. And to tie it into the the book and the ideas I was talking about earlier today, this idea of deliberate practice or committing ourselves to becoming better at something, we all should be doing that. Uh, We all can get better at the things that we're already good at. We shouldn't think we've reached our limits, what we realize now is that what we think is our limits is just where we're at now. And we have to break through that wall or overcome that plateau to reach um, higher heights or to get to a higher place. Uh, And this also comes to mind for me, this idea of being our own hero, uh, because we've come across a lot of times our heroes letting us down. People have talked about this, especially in this past year or so, with the Me Too movement and so many... uh, famous people in various industries being uh, accused of sexual harassment or different types of really dishonorable behavior and people felt like their heroes were being torn down oh i i thought you know let's say louis ck was the best comedian and i thought he was amazing and he was a hero and now i feel like it's crumbling down because of the things he did or uh, various other individuals And, and there's two things to this one is We shouldn't make people into heroes. Yes, if we're watching a movie and it's a superhero, it can be fun in that moment or in that period to get sucked into the story and enjoy that. But in real life, we shouldn't turn people into superheroes that we put on a pedestal that somehow um, are better than human, larger than life, and, and don't exist in this realm. Whoever it is that we admire, we should admire them for what they do, and that's in a way, it, meaning they don't become superhuman or better than the rest of us. They're just very good at that thing. And we could admire them and appreciate what they do in that field, but then they're still a human being like you and me. So putting people on a pedestal, although we might think it's a nice thing to do to someone, and maybe even we all think we want to achieve that where people put us on a pedestal and think of us as better than others and we achieve that kind of status but it's not a good thing and we see that that it doesn't actually make people happier, or have a better life it's not worth much but also for ourselves to put people on this level where we think they're better than us and they're so incredible and they're different from us it doesn't do us any favors in a few ways first of all it makes us see these people as superhuman when actually, I think it's better to think of them as being very human, but achieving something remarkable, meaning they've probably worked very hard, they've been dedicated, or maybe they've been a very good person in a certain way that's created wherever it is they are now in that field or in their career. So it's, for me, rather than thinking of them as some kind of savant, he also talks about in the book, Moonwalking with Einstein, or some kind of, you know, unique talent that just had to be destined for greatness, I'd rather acknowledge the hard work and dedication, the deliberate practice that it took for them to get to that place. The other way that it hurts us when we think of our heroes and these people that we admire in this way that they're not human or they're not like us, is that it takes away our own feeling that we too can be that great. We too can accomplish great things. Because if I think, well, either I have to be born with it or I don't have it, then we think, oh, look at me. I'm not superhuman yet, so I'm not superhuman. Uh, Or going back to the book by Carol Dweck, uh, Mindset, that fixed mindset. Well, either I'm a genius and I'm that good, or I'm dumb and I can't do it. I have a fixed mindset. But rather we should acquire a growth mindset, meaning that I can develop myself into a great talent or very good at something or contribute in some way if i keep consistently working hard if i dedicate myself to something if i have a vision of what i want to do in the sense that i want to make the world a better place in one way or the other if we do that any one of us can become that hero that we want to become so that's what i mean by become your own superhero doesn't mean you have to have some type of superpower but it's that if you put all your power and focus in a consistent, positive, and deliberate way, you can do incredible things. And when I talk about success, what I always mention is that each and every one of us, not only would it be nice if we work hard to become the best that we can become, or not only would it be good to us and we would feel good about it to meet our potential, but actually we owe it to the world to work hard To make of ourselves the best me that I can, to become the best at helping society in whatever way I think my gifts and talents are. That if I keep working hard, I can help the world in a, in a way, and I owe it to the world to become the best at that, that I can be. So it's not even a choice that we really have. It's almost an obligation. We're all in a way obligated. And we owe it to the world to become the best us that we can and each of us can become our own superhero and become a hero to the world by becoming the best us the best me and then giving that to the world sharing that gift with everyone so it really was an incredible experience with those kids i won't forget that day I, i keep a lot of tickets and ticket stubs and things but that one i definitely kept and i'll remember I think for a long, long time. And like I said, if you haven't seen Black Panther, go check it out. But also remember, you have to become your own hero. You owe it to yourself, but you also owe it to your family and to the whole world and everyone around you. So work hard to become the best you that you can become. Now also today is my last show of this Persian year. Tomorrow morning we'll mark the persian new year so i wanted to wish a very happy persian new year to everyone who's listening and celebrating all around the world I wish all the best to you in this coming year and hope it's a great time in the next few weeks with family and friends and exchanging gifts and all those wonderful and beautiful things and related to that because of that the programming will shift here on radio Hamra starting tomorrow morning where we won't have the regular shows all at the regular times, but it will kind of be more informal with lots of guests coming in and out. Um, Some shows won't be at the same time or some hosts won't even be on at the same time. So I won't be doing my same standard show on Wednesday. I might be in the studio during that time or at other times, but just something to look out for in the next few days up until Friday. Things will be a little bit different. Uh, A little bit more informal and fun, but hope you guys enjoy that. And while you're sitting around with your families, enjoying each other, hopefully you'll let us into your homes too to join in those celebrations as well. All right, we're reaching the end of tonight's program. I did want to announce again the book for this week. It's Emotional Awareness, a conversation between the Dalai Lama and Paul Ekman. And I wanted to once again invite listeners to send me their requests for books to read. Sometimes people ask me, how do you choose the books that you're going to read? And it's a not a very specific process. I just constantly am looking for books. When I go to bookstores, I always peruse the psychology sections and related sections. I ask people for different recommendations. I go online and search. So I'm always looking for more uh, new books to add to the list so if you have a book please send it my way i'd really appreciate it uh, some people have given me the books that's not at all what i'm actually asking for although i appreciate their generosity just send me the list either on my facebook twitter or instagram and uh, hopefully i'll be able to add it to the list of books that i read for books of the week okay thank you to everyone who's listening out there if here in the studio you've been listening to in session with dr Fadi delakwe have a wonderful night and again İyi de şomama varak.